0: The homily for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. My dear friends, if there is anything that a priest or a pastor should try to avoid, after sin, obviously, it would be unnecessary conflict. For the salvation of souls, peace is most conducive, peace and quiet. And for this reason, every pastor ought to strive to keep peace, harmony, and charity in one's parish and also among families. But as we know, peace is not possible and it is not true peace if it doesn't have truth. Truth indeed is much more valuable and precious than peace because it is its foundation. It is the foundation of peace and without truth, there can be no real peace, only an apparent one. And it is because of this, because truth is more important, that sometimes peace has to be risked in order to keep above all the truth. And that in some cases when the pastor has to preach about controversial topics or topics that are a matter of discussion among people, the pastor might sometimes delay or refrain from preaching of such topics in order to want to keep the peace, but it is necessary that at a certain point he addresses these topics, controversial though they may be, in order to sustain the truth. In this job of keeping the truth, the pastor has two cliffs where he might risk falling, one on each side. On the one side, there is the cliff of laxity. And in this extreme, the pastor will try to please the crowd by avoiding to condemn sin, by refusing to condemn vice, by not correcting people when they are wrong by not speaking clearly. This is a cliff, obviously, that would lead the pastor to hell. But there is another cliff, equally dangerous, if not more, and that would be the extreme of rigorism. This would be when the pastor attributes to the church teachings which the church does not have. When the the pastor forbids things in the name of the church that the church has never forbade, or it does not forbid at the time. I say this is also pernicious and dangerous, because in this case the pastor is also trying to please the ears of those who would want a more rigorous view. And it is all the more dangerous because for this the pastor has a motivation, the motivation of pride, of vainglory, of trying to appear as a zealous or a very strict priest. And if he refuses to please the ears of rigorous views, the critics, the criticism that he faces is much more painful and acute. Because he will be accused of being lax, of being worldly. He will be accused of being not Catholic, of being novusordo. But if, in spite of all these accusations, in spite of whatever difficulties he might face, the pastor ought to say above all, the truth. And today we face, my dear friends, one of those topics, which is rarely addressed. It's a topic that is quite controversial, it can be, for some people at least. And that would be the vocation of the Jewish people, the situation of the Jewish people and what is to happen with them at the end of the world, and what is the real, the proper mindset that Catholics should have. This topic is brought forth in the gospel of today by St. Augustine in the exposition that he makes of the gospel. Let us look at the gospel of today then and see how this applies to the situation of the Jews and the Gentiles. We read that our Lord is called upon by a prince of the synagogue in order to cure his daughter and on the way our Lord ends up healing a pagan woman. In this, St. Augustine sees a figure, a figure of the Jewish people, which is represented by the daughter of the synagogue, of the prince of the synagogue, and a figure of the Gentile nation, which is represented by the pagan woman. Let us look in detail at the gospel today and how St. Augustine exposes it. He says first, the chief of the synagogue represents the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, to whom our Lord was first and foremost sent. Our Lord said himself, I was not sent but to the sheep that are lost of the house of Israel. And so when the chief of the synagogue comes and he calls our Lord to heal the daughter, this represents the mission of our Lord to come to the people of Israel. We ought to remember that God had given to the Jewish people a special vocation. They had the vocation to receive the Messiah, to bring him to the world, The Jewish people were supposed to be the ones to receive Christ first and to bring him to the rest of the nations as the first missionaries. They were supposed to preach him, to come to follow him, to become his first disciples, and to begin the church with him. And it is because this was their special vocation that God had promised to send the Messiah to them. And it is because of this that our Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilling the promises that were made in the Old Testament, came to this to the people of God who had all the promises and prophecies, who had all the knowledge. He came to them first and foremost. We see a figure of this then in that our Lord is called to heal the daughter of the prince of the synagogue. That is a figure of his original mission to heal the Jewish people, to come to them. But then what happens? As our Lord is fulfilling this mission, they tell us that on his way, a Gentile woman, a pagan, someone that is not of the people of Israel, comes and seeks to be cured. And this woman I said represented the the Gentiles, the pagan nations. And let's see a few characteristics that show us this. First of all, she was, by her disease, we can assume that she was sterile. Remember that she had a flow of blood. And this represents the sterility of the pagan nations, who could not bring a good fruit of virtue, who could not please God until Christ came to them. We also see that the woman had suffered all her life to be wasted, all her adult life she had been bleeding out, her own strength. And this represents the pagan nations that had been in pain and suffering, without relief, being wasted away all the time since their beginnings until Christ came to them. We also see that the woman did not speak to Christ. She didn't utter a word. And this represents the inability of the pagan nations to pray to the true God. They never knew the true God. They could not pray to him until Christ came to them. There's another detail that is very significant. When she comes, she does not touch Christ Himself. She touches His garments. And this represents how the pagan nations, the Gentiles, they did not come to, to know Christ Himself. He didn't live among them. They came to touch His garment. That is, they came in touch in contact not with Christ directly but with his apostles, with the, with the church of Christ, which is often referred to as the tunic of Christ, the garment of Christ. And so with all these things we see that this woman represents the pagan nations. And so our Lord on the mission to cure the Jews, it ends up happening that he cures the Gentiles. Why? Because of the infidelity of the Hebrew people to their vocation because of the rejection of the Jews, it turns out that the Gentiles, the pagans, were in fact cured first as nations. Now, the Gospel of St. Mark, when telling us this same story, gives us more details. It says in there that when the woman touched our Lord, she was hiding, she was humble, she was trying not to be seen. But yet our Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as the miracle happens, turns around, turns back to the crowd, and he says, Who has touched me? The disciples say to him, You see that you are pressed all around by the crowd, and you ask, Who has touched you? And this again was another figure, because this was indeed what was going to happen. In the process of the Gentile nations to be converted to Christ, in the process of all the world reaching the faith in Christ, while there would be those who would touch his garments, those who would approach and and become Christians and Catholics and join the church, many others would press against the body of Christ. Many others would oppress him. They would attack him. That is, they would attack the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. We live still through these times where we see that the pagan nations are still given a few more years perhaps, a little bit more time to be converted. But also at the same time, the the body of our Lord is pressed on all sides. That is, the Church of Christ is attacked from without and from within. And as we see these attacks, we can fall into the error of attributing all of them to the members of that race who rejected Christ. We can fall into the error, the idea of thinking that all of these attacks and all the evils that have fallen upon the church are, as a matter of fact, the responsibility of the Jewish people as a whole. And that idea, of course, is wrong. Because whether if some of the members of the Jewish nation are responsible of many of these evils, That is not something that should be attributed to the Jewish nation as a whole. The enemies of the church are not the members of a race or of a nationality. The enemies of the church are those who choose to be so by their actions. And so it is irrelevant whether if you are a member of a nation or a race or a creed. What makes a person the enemy of the church who they are, and what forces us to oppose them, is their deeds, their doctrine, regardless of who they are, from race or nationality. And so the whole idea of anti-Semitism, as they call it, is wrong in itself. A Christian, a Catholic, is anti-sin, or against sin, I should say. And that's all. In this consideration of who is to blame for all the evils that have fallen upon the church, we also should not forget ourselves. We have had a great share in the evils that have come. Perhaps we didn't plot them, perhaps we didn't plan them, but we did allow them to happen by our sins, by our sacrileges, by our tepidity, and I say we in general as the society. And so we all share the blame, As a matter of fact, then, it is not where we come from or who we were born or from where, from where we were born what makes us good or evil. St. Paul tells us that before God, there is no longer Jew or Gentile when it comes to salvation. When it comes to the grace of God, all are called to receive the gospel, to join the church and be saved by it. And if this applies to salvation, the same applies to sin. When it comes to offending God, it is no difference. Whether if you might be a Jew or a Gentile, it is the sin that matters. It is the malice attached to sin that makes it what it is. And so if the Jews have rejected Christ in their first coming, we're also to blame because we have rejected Christ before his second coming. And we have seen also the apostasy of the nations. And even St. Paul says this in the Epistle to the Romans, that all have been put under sin. All have fallen into sin, so that Christ may have mercy on all. But there is an aspect of this that is even more important. The Gentiles had that moment of health, that moment of salvation. And we know from Revelation, we know from the prophecies, that this health, this salvation, will also pass again to the Jews. St. Paul said to the Jews when they rejected Christ, he said to them, be it known, therefore, to you, that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And at that moment, the gospel passed from the Jews to the Gentiles, so that the people of God, the true Israel, would be all of the people who heard the gospel. But if the salvation passed from the Jews to the Gentiles, St. Paul also predicted of the Jews that once the time of the gentiles would be fulfilled that the jews would also be converted that the jews would also be saved and he says that in romans 11 he says that christ shall turn away the ungodliness from israel from jacob he says which means israel and we read this in the apocalypse where it is foretold as well that the tribes of israel would be saved We see this, finally, in this figure that we have been seeing in the gospel. Because after the pagan woman was healed, Christ did reach the little girl. He did reach the girl that represents the synagogue. And he raised her from the dead. In the same way, he will one day reach the Jewish people, who are now dead to grace, unable to reach salvation, discarded and separated from the Church of God. He will be rich, he, he will reach them and then they will be converted to Christ. And then a great splendor of faith and virtue will be seen in the church, a great splendor like there has never seen, been seen before perhaps, even to the point of martyrdom. And this again is not my words. St Paul speaks of this in Romans 11:15 when he says, "If the laws of the Jews, was the reconciliation of the world, meaning if the infidelity of the Jews when they rejected Christ turned out to be so much good for the world, what shall the receiving of them be, he says, but life from the death, And that is what is represented today by that resurrection of the little girl that our Lord performed. And so, my dear friends, this is actually something we ought to wish for, the day of the conversion of the Jews. And this should also give us a proper approach to all these issues, that to the Jewish people we should show, rather, mercy, compassion, pray for their conversion. Our prudence and caution should be exercised, yes, but not towards those who belong to a race or ethnicity, but rather to those who oppose the church with their actions and doctrines. That's where we should show our prudence and caution, regardless of the race. To finalize, then, let us learn from these examples an important thing for our own life. Let us learn the importance of being faithful to grace and to our own vocation. Because, as St. Paul also says, If the once chosen people, with all the privileges they received, ended up losing grace, they ended up falling into such a terrible condition, into such horrible punishments. How much more is it possible then that I myself could also lose those privileges, that I myself could fall and could ruin my own calling, my own vocation to heaven? If it happened to them, why could it not happen to me? And so let, it this, let this be a warning, let this be a lesson for myself to be more careful. From now on to be on my guard and cherish my own vocation, to cherish the calling that I have received, the calling to be part of the true Israel, of the true people of God, to be part of that chosen nation, to be part of the Catholic Church.